Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest episode of the Pony Express, the Post Riders flagship podcast, one we haven't recorded in a little bit, so I'm very glad to be here. Uh, joining me, as he frequently does, is Post Rider contributor Lewis Ryan. Hello, thanks for having me. Yeah, well, thanks is an interesting word to use for what we're about to discuss, <laughs> um, which is uh, Studio 666. <laughs> The new uh, horror movie, uh, slash movie, whatever you want to call it, that uh, that stars the Foo Fighters, everybody's famous rock band who keeps putting out songs that all sound the same. Um, this movie uh, was uh, directed by B.J. McDonnell. Uh, it was written by Jeff Bueller and Rebecca Hughes based on a story by Dave Grohl, and it stars, of course, the Foo Fighters, namely Dave Grohl, Taylor Hawkins, Nate Mendel, Pat Smear, Chris Shiflett, and Rami Jaffe, as well as some actual uh, acting talent, namely Whitney Cummings, Leslie Grossman, Will Forte, Jenna Ortega, and Jeff Garland. Um, so this movie, for those blissfully unaware, <laughs> um, is uh, about... The Foo Fighters play themselves essentially. Um, they 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 are they're stuck on uh, they're they have kind of like creative block when it comes to recording their new album. And their manager, played by Jeff Garland, recommends a mansion in in Encino, California, for them to record at. They get there. It turns out the mansion um, is haunted by the uh, ghosts of. Um, a band who had recorded there in the 90s and um, whose, I guess, lead singer or a member had gone crazy and murdered all of the bandmates as part of some uh, satanic bargain to record this, like, what's supposed to be kind of like the greatest album of all time, I guess. Does that, is that an apt uh, synopsis, you think, Lewis? (laughs) Yeah, I'm digging what you're saying. It's ripe for comedy. So... Lewis, it, it was your idea to go for us to go see this movie. We saw it in person together. What what inspired you to want to see this exactly? <laughs> um, yeah, inspiration was probably not the deciding factor. It was probably desperation. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't. Uh, I, you know, I'm a I'm a movie guy. I like mm-hmm. I like to go to the movies and I see trailers for pretty much everything in terms of like big releases. Like, there are indie films that, you know, don't get trailers that show in AMC and stuff. But, you know, I see trailers, you know, for lots of stuff. And, you know, you end up seeing it, like, 50 times or whatever. But then, like, I don't know what movie it was. But I saw the trailer for this movie, Studio 666. And I'm just like, huh? What? <laughs> like, what is this? And I, it was just something that caught in the back of my head. Because it's like, it just seems so, so different. Um, Just something, some completely off the wall just like how did this happen like why haven't i heard about this i haven't heard anything about this and then it just stuck in the back of my head and then you and i were talking about ideas for like things we could cover and i'm like well well, why don't we cover this Mm -hmm. because i don't know (laughs) i I thought it was going to be something like special as in something like really bad to like sink our teeth into and discuss um and I don't know. I mean, somehow I convinced you we should go see it. I was like, we should go see it as soon as it's possible, just in case it 
uh, gets flung out of the theaters in case AMC decides, like, hey, how about we don't show this? <laughs> to, uh, have uh, entirely empty auditoriums when we could be showing Spider-Man mm. in here. So, I don't know. We, we ended up going to, to watch this. And um, I know you hadn't heard anything about this, but, like, I had... My expectations were at, like, a certain level mm-hmm. of uh, quality. I was really expecting more just, like, the filmmaking itself to be, like, mediocre or shoddy. Mm-hmm. But it was just really... This this was a tough one. This was <laughs> honestly really, like, quite unbearable in a way that uh, I wasn't a- expecting. And, it, you know, even though I, I, I was the one who got us the tickets, I was, like, seriously considering, like... Why am I here? Like, can I just get up and leave, <laughs> please? Yeah, it, it it's interesting, right? Because there is something interesting about this movie in the sense that it, it is representative of like a genre that doesn't really exist anymore, which is just like the uh, you know the movie starring a rock band, right? Obviously, the Beatles had a lot of those. Um, I mean, even before the Beatles, Elvis was in a lot of movies. You know, the Ramones had Rock and Roll High School. Uh, Kiss had like um that movie where they fight like the space phantom or whatever i don't know um but and i guess the most recent example you could really think of is probably like spice world with the spice girls um like prince had purple rain yeah yeah right prince had purple rain and under the cherry moon um he had a couple like whitney houston had the bodyguard you know um but it's not really a thing you see like a ton especially not with a band and, and especially not horror movies. Right, yeah, exactly. So it's kind of it was kind of interesting on that level, but you were right, yeah, like it got to a certain point where I was just like, uh, what am I doing here? And also just like the the whole exercise just exercise seemed just incredibly pointless. And honestly almost like masturbatory on behalf of like Dave Kroll and the Foo Fighters. Like I almost got annoyed that I was that they decided that this was a thing the public should consume. Um, yeah, well, yeah. Uh, I, I guess we'll get into the nitty gritty, but I sort of have some background info that kind of supports <laughs> what you're saying right there, Mike. Yeah. Because I watched a, an interview because I was trying to do background research on this movie to see if they were to see if this was like just a giant tax scam. Right. Or anything. right. That's what I was hoping to find. Mm-hmm. Uh, but unfortunately, it was not. Mm-hmm. Um, so I listened to an interview that Dave Grohl did with Simon Mayo um from the the mayo and kermode film review show in on bbc radio 4 which is a great show anyone should listen if they like high quality film entertainment but anyway simon mayo conducted this interview he's like so like how did this movie come about and so dave Grohl told the story of apparently the the house in the movie is like a real house Mm -hmm. that um dave Grohl purchased like 10 years ago to like record music in uh for for their new album uh what's the name of medicine at midnight madison medicine at midnight their 10th album yes um dave Grohl sort of had this house and he was like well why don't we record there and then somebody somewhere like called dave Grohl and was like i don't know if this was like bj mcdonald or one of the dozens of executive producers on the movie but they were like hey i just got out of a meeting dave they want to do like a horror movie starring the Foo Fighters, which is like really unusual to think about. Just like executives are just banding about ideas like, hey, what if we do this? And it's like, what if we do that? And it's like, 
somehow the idea came like hey let's do a horror movie with the foo fighters and you know apparently like the foo fighters i'm not really like too familiar with them that's why i was hoping that's why i was glad you could uh accompany on me on this to talk about music and dave Grohl mm-hmm. went up but like i know dave Grohl, i know he's sort of respected or at least admired mm-hmm. for like his industriousness like the quantity of work he manages to produce mm-hmm. um and i you know i guess he has some some following but i've never heard them as like a like a number one band on mm-hmm. anyone's list but like they have a history of like doing kooky music videos mm-hmm. yeah so anyway so the dave Grohl gets pitched this idea like to do a horror movie and it's like oh okay you know it's like oh we've done disney music videos before and so he was like kind of intrigued by the idea well actually he wasn't he was like you know that sounds like a really dumb idea <laughs> like <laughs> yeah. we should do that mm-hmm. and eventually they sort of compromise and it's like oh we'll make it it's kind of like a short film mm-hmm. to promote the album and then that sort of got expanded into like an hour long thing and then eventually it just became like the 100 minute long feature film idea that um dave had to you know convince everyone like hey no we should actually do this and he had to go from thinking this was not a dumb idea to actually like hey we have to actually make a feature film out of this now um and i think that was probably a mistake to have it expand into the current incarnation because i like i can kind of i can definitely see this as like a short film like akin to like a michael jackson's thriller Mm -hmm. i guess is the the prime example but and i can definitely see a version where like this is an hour-long thing on like showtime or hbo whoever did sonic highways but it's just this is this is not a good feature film (laughs) no no yeah and the food fires of all is pretty interesting because they're in like this very weird position where, you know, yeah, I would say they're certainly well respected. Obviously, Dave Grohl, in addition to being leader of the Foo Fighters, was drummer of Nirvana. And they're well respected to like a degree. Like, there's like the critical perception, the popular perception, right? Like, popularly, they're one of the most, the best selling, most tour bought out like bands out there, right? As far as like arena rock bands go, they're like one of the few really holding down the fort in a genre that is in some degree of decline as far as the way it's discussed, but commercially is, is healthy in certain sectors. And, and they, they do very well for themselves. They have a big following among, uh, you know, I would say people, you know, I, from their mid-40s down to, my, my guess would be probably like their late 20s, if I had a guess. Um, but critically, it's like, I think most people agree that their best days are behind them. Like, I don't, and not, and they were never really held up as sort of like, you know, really sort of um generational or sort of like innovative artists either right they're they're a singles band that write good rock singles but they're not you know they're certainly not nirvana level you know they're not sort of they, they don't write earth shaking music and actually their most recent album really didn't get very good reviews at all the medicine at midnight yeah at least it, it definitely got a very bad review from pitchfork i i the point is though it's like i don't know they're, they're not a band that i think is really like um paid attention to in the way well i don't know all music gave it a very good review i guess i guess actually no pitchfork's kind of an outlier i got decent reviews um i think that's actually just betraying my bias which is that i think the food fight i think the food fighters are fine i think what annoys me is the insistence by certain portions of the industry and the public to treat them like the only rock band that exists 
when in fact there are many other rock bands that deserve your attention, um, but they're just not getting it. Um, yeah. And and Dave Grohl, I think, is like a charismatic and very nice figure, um, and and that I think is that that partly leads to like the goodwill is that just people like Dave Dave Grohl because he's a nice guy. Yeah, no, I, I definitely understand that he's a very charismatic man. Probably the most charismatic yeah. of the entire group, Yeah, uh, unfortunately, mm-hmm. uh, for us. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, it, it was like... Um, and Dave Grohl talked in that interview with Simon May about like shooting the film and how about like it wasn't really... Like he says, like, you know, to them, it's not really even about the audience. It was about them like enjoying each other's company and enjoying mm-hmm. the fact that they were making this film. And, you know, Dave Grohl's like, I'm, you know, I'd be surprised if there's actually an audience, you know, who's like <laughs> happy to see this. And I'm like, this is the smoking gun interview exactly. right here. Yeah. I, I, yeah. And that, like I said, that's kind of what made parts of it feel like almost masturbatory to me. Right. It was this thing that it seems like they clearly enjoyed making. And like I said, if this was like, a 40 minute youtube video or like you said a 40 minute thing on hbo max like god bless them i wouldn't have watched it but i'm sure they would have had fun and some people would have enjoyed it but there is just something kind of ostentatious about like you know distributing this to like actual movie theaters yeah, um, making people shell out you know close to 20 dollars now for a ticket to, yeah to, to watch this it's exactly like, yeah quite frankly ridiculous so i think we are doing a civic service here mike (laughs) we are telling people not to spend their hard-earned money to go to see studio 666 yes a classic we we watch this movie so you don't have to situation um it what's interesting though is and maybe you had queued up to say this is that there is some like actual sort of like horror talent behind this movie (laughs) um in the sense that john carpenter of you know halloween fame actually scored it and well no he just did the the theme the oh beginning. okay which was you know i was like um when when the 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 theme song started i was like oh this is actually like a pretty good theme and then a yeah. few seconds later it sums up theme by john carpenter i'm like yeah. oh okay yeah well and even like like the like again i was not expecting it to be great but like the beginning is kind of like you know it opens in like an interesting way right it opens with yeah it it opens okay but then it loses steam I want to say about 20 minutes in. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And then it just never, yeah. until like you get to like the last 20 ish minutes, mm-hmm. it was just, it loses steam. Yeah. Quickly. It does. Um, it, it really just kind of feels like a ship dead in the water. <laughs> like, you know? Yeah. So should we, should we dig into the nitty gritty of the, the story in, in quotes here uh, I, I i guess i guess we could so yeah it it opens with 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 this woman getting murdered in in this house um this guy off screen smashes a, a hammer into her head and her her, her skull blows up um <laughs> <laughs> and blood splatters on this real to real tape machine and then um it's we get it's like interior boardroom day and it's the Foo Fighters sitting around a table and Jeff Garland, their manager, who is aptly named Shill, comes in and is like, why? Like, we, we need your album. Like, why aren't you giving me your album? And they're like, well, we just, I, I like, they just have, like, creative blockage. And then he's like, well, um, I have the, and, and, and Dave Grohl's like, you know, I, I, we need to, like, go somewhere special. Like, when Led Zeppelin went recording, like, castles and stuff. 
And he's like, oh, I have the perfect idea. And that idea is the mansion in Encino. I think what's really bold about this movie is that there's, like, no attempt in these opening minutes to, like, characterize <laughs> any of the leads at all or even mm-hmm. give, like, any semblance of, a you know, stakes. Yeah. You know, like, like, in a movie, it's, like, you know, guy working at a big project for his company. It's like, hey, if you don't do good on the big project, then, you know, you're going to get fired. <laughs> yeah. But here it's just like, Jeff Garland's just like, where's the album? Yeah. And they're like, I don't know. Yeah. It's almost like they're recording the album just because Jeff Garland is mad at them. Like, yeah. there's no, there's, there, yeah, like you said, there's no stakes. Um, so they, they get to this, this mansion and and they're 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 shown it by this uh this this realtor played by Leslie Grossman, and she has to disclose that you know there was a murder that happened there, but uh but the drums just sound so good there, and the first uh, they they encounter uh, Whitney Cummings's character, who who has, uh, I guess there's some mutual attraction between her and. And uh, what's this guy's name? Rami Jaffe, which well, I don't yeah, know. She's, How- like a, she's like a hippie <laughs> new age type. Yeah, she's, yeah. You know, she's uh, a famous comedian. Yeah. You know, so it's like in a horror comedy movie, it's like you want to bring in some of these, uh, you know, the Foo Fighters aren't, you know, a comedy group like the Keystone Cops. You want to bring in some ringers to get make sure you get those laughs in. Right. So they have Whitney Cummings and they bring in Will Forte later in later on. But neither of them are really all that funny no they're not and it uh yeah you know it's it's a lot of like uh it's just a lot of like dick jokes basically right like that's oh yeah we, we can do a scene <laughs> we, let's do a scene right now from um studio 666 mike okay okay mike how the fuck are you you fucking fuck <laughs> i'm really good you fucking prick <laughs> um and scene yes <laughs> It uh yeah you know, it's very sophomoric humor which you know I I don't mind sophomore humor per se but uh, I prefer to actually be funny I guess is kind of how I yeah, would it's say missing the humor it's more just um a lot of effing and jeffing because that's how the, the Foo Fighters <laughs> talk I mean I, I don't blame them that's how a lot of people talk when they're not on camera but it's just uh it gets pretty old if you're trying to pass it off as you know humor exactly well and it doesn't help that the delivery is terrible right. Yeah, um, we talked about it. Dave Grohl is a charismatic guy, and really the only one who seems to be doing any convincing work in this movie. And everybody else is either just bad or just really seems like they don't want to be there. Like Pat Smear, especially, seems very disinterested in the early parts of this movie. Yeah. So um, let's get into like this little game. Okay. Prepared, Mike. <laughs> yeah. Um, this game. So I, I made a chart with mm-hmm. uh, our leads yes. of the film. Uh, uh, the different, the six, the half a dozen main characters that we've got. Right. Um, so, Mike, I mm-hmm. want you to try to describe, um, starting from the bottom right, right, and going backwards. Please describe. Uh, the say say the uh, the band member actor. You know what they do in the Foo Fighters, and try to describe as accurately as possible their personality, characterization in the film, and like what they're sort of story role is in the plot okay what well, story function they serve try to do it as sincerely as possible i will i will so okay so first we have rami jaffe uh who is the uh the keyboard player so he actually i of 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 i think 
all of these non-Dave Grohl members, I think, has the most explicit characterization, which is that he is like this new age woo-woo guy who uh, wants to sleep with Whitney Cummings' character. Um, and that's basically his primary motivation, is that he, uh, he, he gives lots of suggestions to, you know, meditate and, and, and do other, like I said, new age stuff. And, and also basically his eventual demise is because he, he says he's going to help the band kind of like rid themselves of this curse, but he really just goes to sleep with Whitney Cummings and then dies in the process. So actually he, he was, uh, you know, he had an actual, uh, shtick, I guess. <laughs> yes, I, I agree with you there. So that's why I uh, I had you do him first, and okay. now here the game gets harder. <laughs> right. So then it's it's Chris Shiflet, who they call Shifty as well, which is a good nickname if your last name Shiflet. Um, is he the guy who 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 says who it, he like he tried to seduce Rami Jaffe's grandmother? <laughs> There's like that early. Oh right, I forgot that happened. <laughs> there is. I think the earliest indication this was going to be a terrible movie is there's this... I don't even remember where, like, how it happens, but he makes some kind of joke where he's like... Oh, because I think it's like... Because Dave Grohl's like, we we should, like, move into this house and... Um, yeah, it's like, are you going to tell my wife? Yeah. And then and we're Ra- all like, the classic boomer humor of like, oh, we're, we'll tell each other's wives. Yeah. Well, well, well. And I, th- I think Rami Jaffe is like, oh, yeah, like, someone has to tell my grandma. And Chris is like, ah, your grandma loves me. Remember the Hanukkah party? And they just, like, stare at each other. And there's, like, this, like, uh, <laughs> this. Yeah, it's, like, sort of Vietnam flashback. Right, yeah. It's kind of narration of, like, the grandma and, and Chris. I, I guess fondling each other. Um, and he he's also the guy who disparages Dave's grilling grilling abilities. <laughs> Dave's grilling abilities. Dave Grohl's grilling abilities, I think, because it's like they 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 enter the house and the leader is like, oh, there's a, there's a grill outside, and Dave's like, oh, I love to grill, and Chris is like, yeah, if you like your meat like dry and charred, and Chris, and Dave is like, fuck you, but like the like the the amount of time that like is in between like. Chris's delivery of that line, Dave's delivery of that line is like it felt like an hour. Like it just like there was Yeah, well, I remember thinking it was funny when he said like dried and charred and then it just kept going, then it cut to Dave and he's like F you and I'm like, Okay, you you sort of missed that punchline. Exactly, yeah. But he ends up dying in the grill, so it all it all it all Mm -hmm. it all comes full circle. So his character then is (laughs) slept with Rafi's grandma (laughs) and doesn't like yeah grilling. yeah has very high standards when it comes to his grilled meats and um, this is a main character <laughs> yes yes so uh pat smear's character is that he um he he sleeps in the kitchen because it's close to snacks and i think that's pretty much it <laughs> and then he sleeps on the floor later right in the kitchen because the counter is covered in like takeout boxes yeah, so that's his character. <laughs> um, I will say Pat Smear. I think Pat Smear was probably the one who looked like he was cracking up the most. Yeah, well, he, I, don't, I feel like he did this thing where it was like, he did a thing that a lot of, I think, like, non-actors do if you put them in front of a camera. Which is like, 
they just kind of like instinctively smile nervously and i feel like that's what he was doing for wide swaths yeah. of this movie they they call that corpsing in the industry yeah they, you smile yeah i feel like it's what he was, but i also feel like towards the end he was the best at like selling like being afraid of being killed in a way like i actually feel like when he when he had to be like afraid he he kind of sold those scenes well like uh, compa- relatively well at least yeah um, i would say if you had to cut uh cut cut this group in half i would keep pat smear yeah along with rafi Jaffe and dave Grohl, because there's something about him um that i found interesting to watch yeah he is also just like you know he was in like he was in uh the very famous documentary the decline of western civilization he was a guitarist of the germs at that time so he he has some i guess history of appearing on camera outside of foo fighters related projects um, they should have switched titles with this movie. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right. All right, moving on. <laughs> so next is uh, the bassist, Nate Mendel. Honestly could not tell you a damn thing. He, 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 all I remember is that he tries to get the van going at the end while Pat Smear tries to hotwire it. I couldn't tell you anything else this guy does in this yeah, movie. Yeah, what, I, like, can't remember anything he does before, like, the ending 20 minutes of the movie yeah (laughs) (laughs) which is great yeah that's what you want in a movie exactly um he is just so he he got his start in music actually as the basis for sunny day real estate who are considered like one of the biggest like the most important like emo bands ever and it's funny because he definitely i feel like a lot of these like the guys into the foo fighters they're very much like you know like early 2000s like rock dudes and the way they dress and act but nate mendel i feel like in his sort of like you know like polka dot button-ups and his cardigans is very much like a 90s emo dude um i don't know it's funny to me how how different he kind of seems from the rest of the band but anyway next is taylor hawkins the drummer uh his big role is that he tries to distract the possessed dave Grohl at the end by screwing up his drum take but then Dave Grohl keeps pushing him, so he's like, you know what, screw you, I'm going to do an actual good drum take. And then he does it, and dooms everyone in the band, and then he dies. <laughs> what a great character. Yeah. What a journey we went on with Taylor <laughs> Hawkins. And then la- lastly, of course, is Dave Grohl, who, you know, his character is he... Um, well, he does the thing that I feel like a lot of famous people kind of like it seems like they gravitate towards whenever they play themselves, which is like, I am going to play the most diva-ish like version of myself. And it's going to be hilarious. It's, it's like the, he, he was, they were trying to sort of get across that Dave Grohl is like the Larry Sanders, uh, curb your enthusiasm version of like, he's playing himself, but as like the unsympathetic comedy protagonist. Exactly. Yeah. And I, they didn't didn't do it very well. No, they didn't. (laughs) Because the, the what the movie needed was, like, a scene of, like, setup mm-hmm. of, like, Dave Grohl, like, waking up, and he's, like, a mess or disheveled or something. You know, it's, like, clearly, like, he's hit on hard times. Because mm-hmm. that's sort of, like, the, the whole plot is hinging on the fact that Dave Grohl's, like, uh, past his prime and out of ideas. Yeah. They should have hit that note harder, but they didn't. So it's just really boring to watch exactly yeah yeah and then he just they, he gets to wear fake fangs and contacts and play a demon for parts of the movie too yeah so he's he's the one really that the movie is built on the back of yeah yeah 
I think that's fair to say. So how many how many of those characters, Mike, of yes. our six main characters, how many are actually characters? Would you say? And don't be charitable. <laughs> I I honestly I would I I don't even know if I go as far as calling Smack excuse me Pat Smear a character. I really think it's just Dave Grohl and Rami Jaffe. Yes. <laughs> and you know you compare this to something like. Uh, the Beatles, A Hard Day's Night, which, yeah. you know, might be an unfair comparison because it's widely considered one of the best, you know, rock and roll musical movies ever made. But mm. this is our show. We can do whatever we want. Yes. <laughs> if you compare it to that, all four of the Beatles are given pretty distinct characterization. Mm. And, you know, they're literally made to look identical to each other in that movie with their haircuts and the suits and whatnot. So, yeah. What's this movie's problem? <laughs> I posit you. Well, yeah, it's it's and and that's that's what's so interesting to me about making this movie about the Foo Fighters because I don't feel like, like I don't feel like there's anybody out there who's like favorite Foo Fighters, anybody other than Dave Grohl, right? And so making a movie about this band is just like a very, uh, I don't know. It's it it it, it, it just needed like, a lot of work. It did, yeah. It, it's it almost reminds me of um, how like Queen wants to make a sequel to Bohemian Rhapsody, a movie that of course ends with Freddie Mercury dying. <laughs> mm-hmm. And it's like, yeah, nobody cares about the other people in Queen outside of like maybe Brian May. So uh, no, there's no point to that. <laughs> I agree. I agree. And you know, th- this film is ironically given kind of an advantage of the fact that you know you have to deal with sort of. Um, you know, people who aren't talented at acting, given the fact that it's a horror film, so you can kill off, you know, people, you know, Dave Grohl can have the hard conversation of like, you know, pal, you're not really that interesting watching a movie, <laughs> so we're going to kill you off early on. But then they, they just refuse yeah. until like the second yeah. half. So, um, so anyways, that was our game. That's a little game I had just to give the audience at home an idea of just how little, uh, just how much vacuousness is put into the frame, every single frame of this movie, in terms of deep characterization. So anyways, the band moves into the house, and, mm-hmm. you know, murders start happening. Um, Mike, I don't know if you're familiar with the band Slayer at all. I, I am. They're, they're one of the, and some people would argue, the greatest thrash metal band of all time. Did you notice that the roadie that gets killed by being electrocuted to, to death, he's like the, the lead singer of Slayer? Yeah, it's Kerry King, who's actually the lead guitarist. Um, I did not realize that when I was first watching it, but then I was looking at... Because um, like, like, I know what Kerry King looks like, but then I was watching... Uh, not watching. I looked up... Um, what's this guy's name? BJ McDonald's filmography, and like the uh, he's only made two other... like feature-length films one of them is a horror movie called hatchet three and then he did like a concert film slash music video compilation with slayer and i looked at the poster and was like oh i i saw carrie king on the poster I was like oh he's the guy who does it at the beginning um so yes i did i i noticed it retroactively and uh he dies amidst a very bad cgi lightning i would say yeah i <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know. He, he's just electrocuted, and then he becomes like this uh, calloused husk of a dead body. Yeah, exactly. And it's really disgusting. <laughs> and the band's like, "Hey, maybe we should get out of here." And then Dave Grohl's like, "No, <laughs> let's not. Let's do the. Let's. We have to record a couple drum tracks mm-hmm. for him for a roadie." 
It, well, it's interesting too because it's like, as I mentioned, like the the CGI for like the electricity like coursing through this guy's body is pretty bad, but like his charred remains look pretty realistic, and it's because they had like an actual like the guy who did the like practical effects. This guy Tony Gardner was like an actual like he's done like he he worked on like Army of Darkness and Dark Man and some of the Chucky movies and Zombieland and stuff. So like I said, there's like some actual talent behind this. Um, just, just not where it really matters. All the talent cases. is behind the camera. Exactly. Yes. The crew of people working diligently <laughs> to make this small little um, hubristic vanity project for the yes. Foo Fighters seem like something worth watching. Yeah, the gore, the gore. I'm not really like a big gore guy. Me neither. Um, but like you know, it's here and it's well done. You yeah. Know, there's a lot of it. Yeah. Um, I was listening to someone like describe all the gore and he was like saying, you know, it's crazy because like a film like this, if it had came out in 1980, it'd be like banned, mm-hmm. you know, it would be put on the list of the, the video nasties mm-hmm. in Britain and it would never see the light of day. But now it like it comes out and it's just like, oh, who cares? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Everyone's just so desensitized. But yeah, this the gore is here for everyone interested in that all the Fangoria readers who want to see uh two people having sex bisected by a chainsaw <laughs> it's here one of the mildly funny uh, moments is like like when 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 whitney cummings and rami joffrey having sex and like with every like pump like dave Roll like revs his chainsaw up and there's like these like these like you know cuts between them having sex and him revving up the chainsaw and there's, there's like this rhythm to it like that was like kind of funny <laughs> um but yeah and then there's just like very gross uh, scene of them getting cut in half. Well, I think uh, the scene bef- of them having sex was also pretty gross <laughs> already. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah, I mean, there's lots of, like, gross stuff, and then there's, like, also stuff that's just trying to be funny, and it's all just one right after another. Like, Will Forte shows up as mm-hmm. the character of Delivery Man. Yes. <laughs> dropping off food for for the, the band. Mm-hmm. And, like, the only thing he's really given to work with is like ranch dressing. <laughs> like there, Dave Grohl's mm-hmm. like, "Where's the ranch dressing, man?" It's like, "Oh, I'll bring the ranch dressing mm-hmm. next time." And then like he comes and he brings like twelve dozen ranch dressings, mm-hmm. and then he gets killed. And then the band, when they find the body, they're just like, "What's all these ranch dressings?" <laughs> That's the only joke, really. That Will Forte is given. Well, and yeah, so we talked about this after the movie. Is that like, so first they order like a bunch of chicken parms and they're like, where's the ranch dressing for our chicken parmesan? It's like, eh, dude, is that what thing you usually put ranch dressing on? And then, um, before Will Forte comes again, like, someone asked Dave Grohl, it's like, hey, do you wanna, do you wanna grill? And he's like, nah, I ordered some steaks, they'll be here soon. And it's like, who puts ranch on their steak? I I I don't. Um, I don't know. It just seemed like it was like what what's a, what's a mildly funny condiment we can insert into this? And it's like ranch dressing. It, it like, felt very much like an inside joke. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and um, the appearance of Will Forte doesn't help this movie feel any less like an SNL sketch that's gone on for way way too long. No, it, it definitely doesn't. And the, yeah, yeah, it is exactly what it feels like. His, his death was, like I said, mildly funny too, where it's like they take like the garden shears and they just kind of like put him on his neck and then his head just kind of pops off. <laughs> like, that was like weird. 
Um, but yeah, it was also very gross, obviously. Um, poor delivery man. Yeah, poor delivery guy. It just shows that, you know, the true victims of rock and roll excess are the people on the margins. And I guess we can just sort of skip to the ending just to keep this brief so we can avoid the audience experiencing the disappointment in real time like we had to. Yeah, well, I feel like the important thing to add is that, like, I don't know if we really fleshed this out enough, is that Dave Grohl stumbles upon the reel-to-reel recording that was recorded by the band that had all died there previously. And he listens to it, and it's this really sick, like, stoner metal riff that turns into this kind of thrash riff, which, by the way, sounds like nothing that Foo Fighters have ever actually released. Um, and he's like, ah, oh, this is rad, this is the inspiration I need. And then something happens, and he basically ends up getting possessed by the spirit of the guy from the band Dream Widow, is what they call yeah. them. Uh, he gets possessed uh, by him, and that's what causes him to, to become murderous. And he yeah. wants, he's trying to finish the song um, that they discover on the road rail because it's unfinished. Yeah, so a couple things there. He, like, discovers a creepy basement, mm-hmm. and there's, like, I guess three horror movie <laughs> references, sort of, I, I can just name drop. It's, like, there's, like, this dead raccoon stuck to a wall that reminded me of uh, Lars von Trier's Antichrist mm-hmm. with a talking fox. Mm-hmm. It was really creepy. And then the next thing, which I was, like, almost, like, angry at the movie for, is that they rip off Sam Raimi's The Evil Dead. Mm-hmm because they have the the they have the light bulb in the mm-hmm. ceiling and then it fills up with blood mm-hmm. and then it explodes which mm-hmm. is literally just taken wholesale from the evil dead yeah 1981 that made me upset but then the other thing that i thought was weird is that they have this whole idea of like the caretaker mm-hmm. which is like an old guy in like a irish cap yeah and a sweater with like garden shears and, like, they have Dave Grohl, like, dress up as that. And it's, like, it felt like a very different sort of, like, horror movie riff than what they were doing for the rest of the movie. It felt very, like, 70s British horror, which I, it was weird. But it was, it was, it was interesting, at least, but it was different. Exactly, yeah. It, it, it felt kind of out of place. It never really felt like there was, like, a, a true, I guess he was supposed to be... And it's like he was supposed to be the singer, right? Yeah. For, for Death Widow. So it just, like, mm. didn't make sense. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. But, um, yeah, but Dave... I, I think the one funny... there were, I mean, there were a couple of moments where I laughed. Mm-hmm. Like, I think the hardest we probably laughed together was, like, when we saw Jeff Garland's name in the credits. Yes. <laughs> at the beginning of the movie. Like, even more than any anything actually does in the movie, we just laughed at his name appearing in the credits. Mm-hmm. Um... But the hardest, I think, I mean, I, I thought the thing with the L note was pretty funny. Yeah. It felt yeah. like a, you know, some, like a Key and Peele sort of comedy mm-hmm. sketch idea of like an L note. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, yeah, it's like this. And it's like, wow, wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like, well, what about the other notes? And it's like, I, I don't know enough about music, but I'm pretty sure it's like if there were, it's like, you know, discovering another color. Yeah. It's yeah. just like one of those things that's just funny because like there aren't really mm-hmm. any higher notes no I believe, no it, it ends it ends at g yeah so it's just like hey everyone play an l note mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like an l uh, sharp yeah <laughs> and they're like what happened to like all the letters in between and it's like they don't matter it's just a, yeah it was like a funny premise yeah they needed this movie like needed more absurdism like that and the yeah. whole thing with the the jewish grandma mm-hmm. to just keep it moving but like 
it's like just a lot of cursing and stuff and just being gross yeah yeah i would agree um so yeah i I guess like you said we we can kind of get towards the end which is like so dave Grohl's like just like knocking off killing members of the band Did, did you think it was weird that there's a part when it's like he's clearly eating like a person yeah he like his bandmates are watching from the ceiling yeah and they're like Let's go check out the basement. Yeah, they're yeah. not like, hey, isn't it weird that Dave's <laughs> eating a human being? <laughs> yes, yes. They were like, oh, good, he's distracted. Let's go. It's like, yeah, he's distracted because he's eating your friend. Yeah, that was very strange. Um, yeah, yeah, very. Yeah, but I mean, it's basically like the band discovers the basement. They discover what's going on, mm-hmm. and then they perform an exorcism in the pool mm-hmm. to like get the demons out. And there's, um, all they really need to do is push Dave into the pool. Yeah. And then it's basically over. The demon shows up in the form of the band leader. And then the band, the, the band members he killed, they show up. And there's mm-hmm. like a whole Ark of the Covenant thing yeah. going on. And I think you and I are just waiting for this sequence to be over so we yes. can get up and leave. Mm-hmm. It's just, it was all very blah. Yeah, yeah. But the thing is, it doesn't, like, end there. <laughs> no, that, that was just the end of Act 4. We have to get to Act 5. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it's... The, the, the mythology of what was going on didn't make sense. I was like, I don't really, like, care at this point. Um, but yeah, then... Because uh, we... There was... Everything we needed to know was, like, established already. <clears throat> exactly, yeah. Like, yeah. we already knew that Dave was possessed. Mm-hmm. We knew that had something to do with the band. There wasn't any revelation. I mean, I guess there's a revelation in, in you know in Act Five, but that doesn't really impact you know the stuff with like the literal demon. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Ugh. Um. But anyways, Act Five. <laughs> so Act Five, these two hooded figures appear, um, and they're revealed to be Jeff Garland and Leslie Grossman, and it leads to this fight between uh dave and jeff garland yes and uh, it, it, it reminded me of what you were saying well jeff garland like gives a speech mm-hmm. about rock and roll and it made me think about what you were talking about how like the foo fighters like present themselves as like the last bastion of rock and roll yeah and it's honestly like get over yourself exactly yeah yeah, he's like, rock and roll is not relevant anymore, but this song that you recorded will make you relevant. And it's like, I feel like if that's your motivation, you kind of need to present that earlier on in the movie too. You know what I mean? It didn't really make sense what Jeff Garland wanted out of this or why this song was supposed to be like the key to future success. Yeah, it didn't really make any if there, sense if at all. there's supposed to be some sort of additional meta commentary about like, music producers you know being mm-hmm. evil it's like none of that is apparent you know no none of that would cross no. your mind jeff garland's enjoyable as just mm-hmm. being like this really evil guy his eyes are like yeah open. he has like medicine his voice <laughs> he does yeah yeah um he he very much plays like the absurdist angle which which i appreciated yeah, but it's just like if you want to have Dave Grohl in like a fight scene with your bad guy, why would you cast Jeff Garland? Yeah, <laughs> he's well, like a big teddy bear. Well, and their fight scenes like bad too. At one point, it's just like Dave Grohl just like choking Jeff Garland on the ground. Because it's, it's just like he's an 
elderly Jewish man, yeah. in essence, and Dave Grohl's really not that much younger in the grand scheme of things. No. No. Um, and basically, it's funny, because now that I'm thinking about it, it's like, I'm trying to remember who dies when, because Pat Smear and I think Nate Mendel die. No, Nate Mendel is... Oh, wait, yes, Nate Mendel does die. Yeah. He gets stabbed through the face. Yeah, with... Barb's Barb has a knife. Yes. So the first one to die is Chris Shiflet on the grill. Yeah. And then it's... Then it's Rami Jaffe on the... When he's having sex with... No, I think it's... Isn't it Taylor with the the symbol going through his head? No, he dies... Um, He's like... He's no. trying to distract Dave. Right, but he... Pat and Nate go to the basement and Rafi's... Rami is having sex with Whitney Cummings. Maybe you're right. Maybe you're right. But the thing is, I'm, try, I'm trying to figure out who tries to, like... Who are the people trying to perform the exorcism is what I'm trying to remember. It was Nate and Pat. It was. Okay. Right, because then they try to escape in the van and they don't have the keys... So they're trying to hotwire, and that's yeah. when Jeff Garland and Leslie Grossman appear. Okay, yeah. And then Pat gets run over. Yes. Yeah. His face explodes. Yes. <laughs> well, it sets it up where he's, like, underneath the van trying to hotwire. It's like, well, you know, I'm, I'm, I know how this is going to end. <laughs> like, And then Jeff Garland's like, they're all dead. Now it's time for your solo career. Which brings us or to... Or you f- can start another band. <laughs> uh, yeah, he could have done that, too. <laughs> rejoin queens of the stone age yeah um start probot up again um and it brings us to the uh the final scene starring jimmy simpson (laughs) oh right i like completely forgot about this i was like how did this movie end yeah and it's it's like backstage at a show and jimmy simpson who's clearly like a a stage manager or something shows up at dave Grohl's dressing room he's like hey they're all waiting for you and dave Grohl's very morose he's like okay so everything okay is like yeah, and then he leaves, and then it's like it's a it's a it's a close up of Dave Grohl's face, and like these sort of like dark veins appear, implying that he's still under the sway of some demonic forces, and that's how it ends. <laughs> yep, if you're anticipating, you know, post credit scene, pay no heed. You no, can feel free no. to leave. Yeah, it's funny because I I was reading an interview with Dave Grohl in Rolling Stone. Which, if you need a uh, a concrete example of just Rolling Stones fall from grace, like, the interview begins with the guy being like, man, I wasn't expecting this movie to be good, but I really liked it. It's like, okay, fine. Um, <laughs> and then <laughs> uh, they, asked, they asked Dave Grohl, it's like, so, like, what did you, like, how much did you guys prepare for the movie? He's like, he's like, no, nah, we just, like, memorized our lines. Like, we didn't, like, rehearse or anything. He's like... We didn't have any acting coaches. Like, there's this one guy named Jimmy on the set if we had any questions about acting. And the guy was like, uh, you mean, like, Jimmy Simpson, who's, like, in all these TV shows? And he was like, oh, yeah, see, like, I don't watch TV. Like, I have no idea who the hell this guy was. Oh. <laughs> it's like, wow. it's like, all right, then. <laughs> I hope Jimmy Simpson, like, made a lot of money. Me, too. Me, too. <laughs> Me, too. I wonder if he was, like, at a certain point, he was just like, uh, do whatever you want. Exactly. Yeah, he probably was, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yep. So that that's the movie in essence. I before we get to like our pros and cons, I guess I did want to mention product placement. <laughs> <laughs> 
Mike, are you a fan of Frito Lay products? <laughs> I so I, I did notice. I believe it was Cool Ranch Doritos that Pat smears eating at one scene. There were Doritos. There were Cheetos. I saw Jameson whiskey. Yes. prominently featured. There was Coors Light, but Doritos is really the big winner mm-hmm. in this movie. They must have shelled out quite a <laughs> quite a few dollars for product placement in this movie. Yeah. Ugh. I like want to know how much this cost. If it's like it's if it's low budget, then it's like you know, in a sense, we're picking on it for being low budget. But yeah, um, I agree. I don't think any of those figures have been released yet, and I don't know if they ever will be because they don't have to because <laughs> it's a small movie. That that could be. Um, I don't know. It made according to Wikipedia, so you know, grain of salt there. It's made like seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars at the box office, I think. Which I, I sure whatever who cares, um, good for them I guess. <laughs> oh, that's what it made on Friday, and Forbes is projecting it will make two point zero three million dollars for the weekend, Ugh. which seems like too much money for that movie to make. <laughs> um, well, it certainly seems. I I just don't like the idea of them projecting it'll make you know a lot of money. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Which they say that's apparently an eight hundred and eighty dollar per theater average, which means you're getting. Uh, I don't know. I don't want to do that math, but I guess that's supposed to not be very good. I'm bad at like Hollywood economics, but. Well, I mean, it's like if if uh, let's say they make two point three million. Mm-hmm. So I mean, I think we can already say that they spent like no money on marketing. Yeah, that's the usual yeah. thing. Is that. Uh, for like the big blockbuster movies like the batman they probably spend just as much on the marketing if not more as mm-hmm. the actual movie so assuming the movie made like uh the movie costs like one million dollars you know then mm-hmm. they've got a healthy profit but yeah um, it depends it doesn't look all that expensive but you never know with these productions because i think there was certainly a lot of there was certainly a lot of producers credited <laughs> Yes. Taking taking a piece of the pie there. Yes. And I looked into all of them, and none of them are actually, like, really big producers, like, movie producers. Mm-hmm. You've got, like, the six members of the Foo Fighters, and then, like, five people also serving as producers, but they're also, they're all people that worked on, like, other Roswell Films productions, which is basically Dave Grohl's uh, film arm of Roswell Records, ah. where they made um, Sonic Highways... And there's, like, this show about, like, Dave Grohl's mom, I think, mm. from cradle to stage. Oh, yes, yes, I remember that, yeah. And uh, it just makes me want, it makes me think, like, I was talking about, like, my tax schemes and conspiracy thoughts before. I wonder if this film just exists to, like, keep Roswell films in, in the black <laughs> or something, you know? <clears throat> right, like, yeah. they seem to know everyone credited. Yeah, Like, yeah. they all seem to have worked on projects with them before. Mm-hmm. That hey man, it could be. I mean, it it is like the definition of a vanity project, right? Like it's yeah, you know, it's just it's so lame because like mm. they want to, they're like they're like we're rock and roll, and they're all like 45, 50 year old. No, they're all like in their early fifties, I think. Like, and Pat Smear is in his early sixties. They're all much much older than the Beatles ever were. Yeah, they were yeah. the Beatles. Yeah. Which is fine. Hey, rock and roll those ages, but a number. But also, uh, you know, it's just it, 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 it's just it's funny, right? Because 
I've written a lot about music. I've, I've interviewed some musicians and I've come to the realization that it's like, I don't think I could ever like outside of my lack of musical talent. Right. Which is obviously a big, a big deal. Like, I don't know that I could ever like be in a band cause there is like, there is something kind of, uh, uh for lack of a better word, like infantilizing about it. <laughs> um, there, I, it feels like a lot of musicians are kind of stuck in a mindset of like perpetual teenagerdom, which I think is okay when you're making music, but I think can also just like make your personality kind of uh, unappealing. So, Mike, who would you say is the target audience for this movie <laughs> if it has one? Um, I, well, okay, I, I feel like people who like the Foo Fighters, <laughs> and then I guess people who like who just like like slasher movies for the sake of slasher movies. Like, if you're like, I want to see some really gory, gruesome death scenes, I mean, you're going to get them, right? Um, I, you know, and, well, but again, that's the thing, right? It's like, I feel like, that, like, <clears throat> if I were, this reminded me kind of like Tenacious D in the Pick of Destiny, like its sense of humor, certainly, which Dave Grohl actually appears in, he plays the devil. And, like, it's a thing where it's like, if I were like, you know, 13 or 14 i'd be like oh yeah i want to see this movie um but the foo fighters were more relevant when i was 13 and 14 than they are now and i can't really imagine a 13 and 14 year old being like oh the foo fighters in a horror movie that sounds cool even though it'll end up being stupid you know it's just like i i i I, part of the thing is like i don't know who this is actually for outside of the people i just described yeah i mean the audience for this is the members of the foo fighters themselves (laughs) right yeah this is the movie they they wanted to make dave Grohl said so himself Mm -hmm. um uh yeah Mm -hmm. (laughs) so so what were what were some of the things you liked in the movie they played the uh, the opening riff to everlong which is a great opening riff but um i don't know i I liked I liked the music, the song they were trying to record, and you know I I have I have nothing but respect for the practical effects, so so I'll say that. Yeah, the the gore effects were good. Some of the art direction was mm-hmm. good in terms of like you know you got stuff like the raccoon on the wall. Yeah. Um, stuff like that. Uh, Jeff Garland. Yeah, yeah, Jeff Garland. Um. Some of the bits with humor, not a lot. No. Um, it it's it's. It, I feel like if they had, I don't know how heavy you know. I don't know what B J McDonald's like directorial style is like, but I feel like if they had, he's not known for directing. He's a, he's basically a steady cam operator. Yeah, I feel like if they had relied less on like, um like verbal humor and actually went into more of like visual jokes i feel like they would have more success because it felt like that's like um that kind of would help them lean into like the absurdity of it a little bit more instead of like convincing you that like you know the foo fighters can like deliver jokes on time which they clearly can't maybe like even i don't know there's like the one scene where it's like when he comes in, is like watching them like over the fence, and then she just kind of like slowly like lowers herself below the fence like that. I thought that was like kind of funny, and I feel like if there was like, like I almost feel like it should have been more like arch than it was in a way. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I I don't think there's an audience 
you know, who, you know, here's the concept, basically. Like, the Foo Fighters make a horror movie, and it's like they expect, like, a, you know, gripping A24 level. Yeah. Elevated yeah. horror masterpiece. Like, make something more arch, more campy. Mm-hmm. You know, will give us, you know, a good time. You know, popcorn film. Yeah. You chomp away at your popcorn, have your big 64 ounce of soda. Mm-hmm. You know, you might get scared, shove it all over the person sitting next to you. <laughs> Yeah, it's make yeah. It, you know, make it the drive-in movie, the typical drive-in movie. Exactly, and so in a way, they almost should have played it straighter in some ways, because then it then it becomes campier. You know, you know what I mean? Uh, maybe there was a lot of stuff of them like screaming that was like leaning towards campy. So I feel like that'd be better for them. Yeah, to yeah. Make it more campy. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. And the John Carpenter theme was great. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And like the opening scene was was, was like. The, the sort of like cut between like the head exploding and and the reel to reel that that was kind of interesting. All right, so sh- should we give final thoughts? <laughs> well, do we have to talk about cons or or was our whole discussion cons? <laughs> I mean, well, where do we start and end with cons? Um, uh, uh, cons. Uh, Two thirds of your main characters are like. <laughs> indistinguishable from one another yeah whitney cummings Mm -hmm. was not very funny neither was will forte no there was never really any steaks Mm -mm. except the ones they grilled (laughs) just a lot of padding yeah yeah I, i i would agree not really a whole lot of um spectacular craftsmanship in terms of the filmmaking itself like no. if you the mark of a really well directed film is if you could put it on mute and you can still tell what's happening there wasn't really a lot of visual storytelling mm-hmm. going on in the movie it was yeah. just a lot of people talking um and do you remember the opening our opening scene with the foo fighters where it's like a conference room yes and they made sure that every single member of the foo fighters <laughs> had a, had a single like they had a shot yep so yes could, they could be introduced but mm-hmm. not, nobody told them to like react strongly to anything so it's just a lot of shots of them going like like no expression yeah just like yeah. staring and nodding mm-hmm. like looking back and forth and uh yeah it's just a lot of unnecessary you know assuming they had a limited number of cameras it was unnecessary to spend that time making sure everyone got a single if they're not going to do anything all that interesting I, I agree. That's the thing that kind of annoys me as a filmmaker, which is what I was hoping to see more of in this movie that we saw just to make fun of it. But Right, yeah. Yeah, it was not a... Like, you could never do... Like, you know, we were talking about channeling our inner Tom Servo. Like, you could you could never do, like, a Mystery Science Theater 3000 episode. Oh, you could, but it would be punishing. Yeah, <laughs> I, guess, I guess so. We were... I was just, like, not feeling it. Like, you know, it's just, like, a soul-draining experience yeah, watching this yeah. movie. <laughs> yeah. Just, like, the amount of boredom you feel is just excruciating. Yeah, it, it's not bad in an entertaining way. No. No, no, no. No, it wasn't. Which which I feel like is, is, is like I said, almost why they should have played it straighter. Because it's, like, I feel like movies that try to be funny but aren't are more difficult to watch movies that you know, try to be kind of, like, dramatic and aren't, you know? Yeah, they should have made this, like, a mockumentary. Yeah, well, apparently, so I was I was reading in um, the uh, 
the interview in Rolling Stone, it, they they kind of initially were gonna like tease it like like kind of like a Blair Witch type thing, um, and it was supposed to be more of like um, had be more of like a kind of like they were gonna kind of like have more of a viral marketing campaign, and then it come out and people would be like, oh, this is just like whatever, um, but I think like COVID kind of screwed up their plans with that. Huh. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I. I... I guess you can't say it doesn't deliver on the promise of the Foo Fighters are in a horror movie. Yeah, that is, is literally what it is. There so. was no deceptive marketing going on. No, no. I was. I just fell for it. Truth in advertising from both the filmmakers and from Frito-Lay. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Are, are, how are we doing on time? Are we longer than the movie yet? Uh, not, not yet, but, but I, I think, I think we've, we've said pretty much all, all we want to say about this, haven't we? We probably said more than needs saying. We yes. were probably worried about this being too under time, but now it's probably too over. No, so. we are, we are, we are fine on time. Trust me. Um, do, do you have any final thoughts other than what we were just talking about? <laughs> uh, don't see it. Go, go see something else instead. Go see, we're going to do an Oscars podcast and Mike and I were talking about all the oscar movies go see any of those yeah honestly go see belfast Mm -hmm. go see dune go see go see king richard even even though i really didn't like that movie it's much much better yeah we'll uh spending your time watching studio 666 we'll we'll talk about king richard on the oscars podcast because i have thoughts on that too um yeah all right well i i agree don't see this movie spend your money elsewhere or go for a run or something there's lots of other things you can do um but yeah that that'll do it for this episode of the pony express like i said my name is mike levito you can find my work on the pony on, on the postwriter.com and you can find me on twitter at emlevito and letterboxd at Ameramike. yeah and i'm i'm lewis ryan thanks for having me mike um i i write for the postwriter too you can follow me at on twitter at the lewis ryan and at the lewis ryan on letterboxd as well where you can see more film reviews like this (laughs) yeah uh thanks for listening to this and and sitting through uh hopefully this experience was more pleasant for you than 2666 was for us and uh like and subscribe this podcast anywhere you can find podcasts yeah don't donate to the (laughs) postwriter.com yeah do that too um but outside of that uh we hope you have a nice day and thanks for listening Goodbye.